You're listening to Fundshack. I'm Ross Butler, and today I'm speaking with Laura Dillon, principal at Waterland Private Equity. Laura had already had a varied career in private equity and business prior to founding and leading Waterland's Irish office in 2020. We talk about what it takes to be a good investor, the importance of empathy and partnership with business owners, and the opportunities ahead for the Irish private equity market. Laura, one of my Linear B colleagues, Tessa, interviewed you for Level 20, and I watched that interview and I thought we must get her onto Funshack, and here you are. So that's great. I wanted to start by asking you to run us through your, your bio, because I found your CV, to be honest, a little bit more interesting and varied than, than most private equity people that we've had on here. And so I thought it might be a good way to start, if you don't mind. Thank you very much, Ross, and I'm delighted to be here today. Um, as you say, uh, I, I did the interview with Tessa at Level 20, and I'm a big supporter of trying to get more women into private equity. Um, my, my background, um, I am, I suppose, you know, I've done plenty of different things. I'm from uh, Sutton on the north side of Dublin in Ireland. Um, I, I'm a very passionate sailor, so I spend most of my time sailing when I'm not in the office. And um, I've, I, I, I st- started studying chemical engineering over in Dublin. Uh, liked all the analytical skills and liked problem solving and spent a summer working for Pfizer Pharmaceuticals down in Ringeskiddy in Cork, where I also got to do a lot of sailing. Um, But after that summer, I think it taught me that I probably did not want to be a chemical engineer forever. So so I then thought about what did I want to do when I started started my career. And I thought about, you know, would I go into, I suppose, accountancy, banking? um, And in the end, I decided to go into strategy consultancy. So I moved over to London back in 2001 and I joined McKinsey as a strategy consultant. Um, as an aside, I was still trying to try, trying to sail very competitively and do an Olympic level sailing campaign and very naively thought I would be able to work at McKinsey and also compete in my, my sailing. Became quite clear to me quite quickly that the two were not that compatible. So I decided to, to focus on my career. So I had a fantastic experience working at McKinsey for, for, for a couple of years um, literally got to work across, you know, corporate finance, retail, uh, telecoms, right through to pro bono, and 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 I think it taught me that 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 uh, I really liked all the intellectual challenge, the diversity, but I also really wanted to be on the implementation and see things actually implemented. So so I uh, took t- t- decided that uh, that I w- did want to do an MBA, which McKinsey luckily uh, decided to support me through. I wanted to get some real life operating experience before I did that. So I took four months and I went down to uh, Mozambique in Africa and worked uh, uh, as a volunteer on a pro bono study for the World Bank to try and build the agriculture and horticulture sector in Mozambique. So we were working with a lot of white Zimbabwean farmers who had commercial farming skills, but they were losing their lands in Zimbabwe. And a lot of the land in Mozambique was state owned, but the farmers there did not have commercial farming skills. So, um, so, 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 so did that for, for a couple of months. And I think one of my real learnings from that was how content a lot of the people down there were. They did not have very much material resources, but they were, were certainly, uh, cer- certainly a lot of them were very happy. Mm. So um, after a couple of months, I decided I needed to come back and get a proper paying job again. So I came, came back and I moved up to Edinburgh and I joined Intelligent Finance, which was the internet bank part of Halifax Bank Scotland. Um, back 20 years ago, internet banking was a relatively new phenomenon. Today, it's obviously very commonplace. So, um, so, so I joined Intelligent Finance. I ran their strategy, but over time, I ran the product P and Ls as well. So, had P and L responsibility, 
And and luckily, um, my boss was also responsible for St. James's Place Bank, the wealth manager, all the partnerships and affinities, um, Birmingham Mitchards. So I got to to do the strategy across all of those businesses. So got very, very good exposure. But I think what it also highlighted to me was that I probably did not want to work at a large PLC forever. So um, after after the kind of two years of operating experience, I decided to go over to Boston and I did my MBA. Um, did a two-year full-time program at, at Harvard and uh, really enjoyed that. And during my summer, I was way too eager. I decided to do two internships, one back in Ireland and one, one here in London. So I joined um, NTOR in Dublin, which was doing renewable energy investments. Um, so it gave me a great insight into the wind energy, the solar, solar photovoltaics and also the waste industry. And I came and worked for Cabot Square Capital here in London, uh, where I worked on kind of a number of financial and healthcare investments. Um, so then I had some big decisions to make. I, I went back to finish my final year and I was clearly meant to go back to McKinsey. But um, in the end, I decided that I, that, that I really wanted to actually try and get into private equity. So I um, took, took, took a risk and, and, and uh, I decided to join Apex Partners when I graduated. So moved back to London in 2000, September 2007 and I joined Apex. Um, I, seemed to, I seemed to have an interesting knack of joining firms at unusual timings. My, my very first job at McKinsey, unfortunately, was the week of 9-11. Um, the week I joined Apex Partners in 07 was the week that was the run on Northern Rock Bank. And uh, I'll come on and talk about it. But the week I joined Waterland to set up the Irish office was the 16th of March 2020, as we all went into COVID lockdown. So um, so, so, so my older brother tells me if I'm moving jobs again, I need to let him know in advance. <laughs> so, um, so, so, so back in 07, I joined Apex Partners. I joined the retail and consumer team there. Um, a couple of weeks after I joined, we closed a 10 billion euro fund and um, I got I got to work on some interesting retail and consumer, but also um, some technology, some business services, some energy um, investments. And um, after a couple of years, really enjoyed being on the private equity side of the table. But I decided actually I wanted to try my own business and I wanted to move back to Ireland. So um, in the heights of the last recession, some people might, 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 might call it a bit crazy. I decided to, to move back to Ireland in 2010. I got my retired father out of retirement <laughs> and we decided to set up a small sales marketing um, distribution business that was specializing in healthcare products in the Irish market. Um, my father was retired five years, but he had worked in the industry for, for over 40 years. Um, and the Irish market is very different to the UK or US market, the pharmacy market still very fragmented in Ireland. So um, we literally rented a warehouse. I bought a forklift. Um, some of dad's old sales team and some of the brands he had distributed came, came over to us. And uh, we literally had a little business where we, we grew it to supply nearly every pharmacy in the Irish market. And luckily, um, Ireland certainly at that point was the highest per capita user of fake tan, probably because we don't have great weather. <laughs> and uh, we were one of the first cosmetic suppliers into mm. pennies or Primark, and we were supplying large volumes of, of fake tan into them. Um, I have to say, I was probably very naive up to that point. It's given me a huge amount of respect for all business owners and entrepreneurs. Um, you know, suddenly it was my problem to make cash flow and make payroll. I was having to put personal guarantees on the line in order to get invoice financing in order to buy our stock. Um, and I have to say it's given me yeah, real, real respect for everybody, you know, be it someone who just has, 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 has a shop or any independent traders. I think, you know, there's always a lot to be done. And uh, as I say, I, I was a bit naive, but, it, but I think that's one of the places where I've learned a huge amount. 
So I ran that company for a couple of years and I was very privileged to be able to work at a, you know, with my father in a family run company. As I say, we grew it. It was still, it's still, still doing uh, a couple of million a turnover. We had about 20 people. And in the end, uh, we ended up selling all the distribution rights um, to United Drug, who's a listed company in Ireland and was our largest competitor. Um, so dad got to go back to retirement. Um, uh, most of my team went to work for United Drug. And um, in the, uh, after a period of transition, I decided to come back to London and get back into private equity again. So, um, so and I, I, th- I think my experience as an entrepreneur, you know, setting up and, and, and running and selling that company has made me a much better investor at this stage. Mm. So I came back to London and I joined Riverside where I was a principal for uh, four years, mm. uh, investing in companies and partnering with businesses in the UK, Ireland and Central and Eastern Europe. Um, l- luckily, we, we partnered with a business called Netwatch Group in Ireland. So I got to go back to Ireland for board meetings um, and uh, at the end of 2019, uh, Waterland decided to open an office in Ireland. And um, in early 2020, they offered me the role to, to move home and lead the team there. So interesting timing, as I say, coming into COVID. But I'm delighted that, that I was able to move back to Ireland again. To be honest, I thought I was going to end up staying in London. But um, given that all my family's back in, back in Dublin and Ireland, I was delighted to have the opportunity to, to, to move to Waterland and set up the Irish team. You see, I knew this would be an easy podcast. There's enough material there for about 10 podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's, so you're obviously someone with a lot of energy uh, and interest in a variety of things. But my other observation is, I suppose, despite the fact that private equity is all about risk and return, I guess most private equity people, they, they strike me as more conservative. And you have, uh, let's say, a higher risk tolerance, I suppose, than normal for your own for your own career, like you've taken a lot of risks with your career, and you, it's easy, I guess, to, to just jo- join a private equity firm and just, you know, keep your head down and well, not easy, but you know, stable and work your way up to partner. You've not done that, have you? Yeah, I, I, I suppose you know, I always like to challenge myself to think about, you know, if 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 you think you want to do something, why don't you go and do it? I suppose. Mm. Um, and the the main reason why I made the decisions that I did was ultimately because I thought I was going to learn out of the different experiences. And I'm a big believer in, you know, we're, we're all going to work for a long time and we really mm. need to be learning all the time. So for example, um, I really enjoyed my time at, at Apex um, and it was my first foray into private equity. But with the experience of starting my own business, I think I have now become a much better investor, much better partner for mm. our management teams. I'm a much better board member. So I think that whilst it seems a bit of an unusual, I suppose, thing to leave private equity, go back and start your own business. I certainly believe that it's made me a much, much better investor. And I have to say, I I understand a lot more about running and growing businesses now. You know, I've been in the trenches. I've seen what, what it can be. Not everything was easy. Things were tough. But I think that that's now helped me to understand, you know, uh, how I can support and mentor and and be a better partner for our management teams. You know, things will always go go astray, but but it's about how you deal with them and making sure that you have a strong team in place and and what the solutions are. It'd be interesting to know what proportion of private equity deal makers have had that kind of executive experience, because you'd think in a in a mature and highly competitive market, you'd want people that have had the right experiences. And I would imagine the proportion is actually pretty low. Yeah, it's interesting. At at Waterland, um, a lot of the senior people have actually either founded companies or run businesses or had, had, had executive roles. I think we as a firm believe 
that, um, you know, it's very important, yes, to understand all the financing, have the M&A experience. Um, but we also like to recruit from strategy consultancy backgrounds and also people who have um, operating experience because, you know, a lot of the time we are the first institutional investor partnering with family-run companies, founders, management teams. And we do feel that having that level of operating experience, that level of understanding, empathy, have, having been in, in the trenches, um, I think is, is, is important and increasingly so, I think. To play devil's advocate, I mean, I don't doubt at all that it increases the empathy, but if I'm a deal maker and I've done like 10 deals, I know how businesses work. I don't need to go and run one. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, 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 I'm sure, I'm sure lots of people can can get it from not having done it. You know, I personally, I'm a big believer in. You know, I, I learn by making my own mistakes, I suppose, and 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 being there. And you know, I well, whilst when I was a consultant, you know, a lot of it was great, and the intellectual challenge was fantastic, and the theory was all there. Mm. But for me, it's really about you know actually doing it yourself, and that really helps you to to, to learn to a greater extent. I think. So you'd learned all the theory and McKinsey and so on, and then you had this family background. In this sector, and you thought here's an opportunity to apply it. Is that why you went for it? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. So I, I had um, both of my parents worked for family-run companies, neither of their own family-run businesses, but they'd both worked for you know. Uh, in my mother's case, she worked for a manufacturing company that manufactured glues and detergents. My father had worked for for a business that had um, been been a distribution sales marketing distribution company, and he had run the healthcare division. But I think a lot of my entrepreneurial spirit not only comes from my mom and dad, but my grandmother actually. Um, back in 1940 in, in Ireland, my father was born. He's now 82. Um, unfortunately, tragically, his father passed away when he was one. My grandmother was then left in war times with six young children. She didn't work at the time. So suddenly she had to figure out how did she make enough money to feed six young children? So um, my, my grandmother became an, an, an unlikely entrepreneur. Uh, she moved her family up to a, a little fishing village in North Dublin called Skerries, where they had a property. She opened a shop up there and she 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 she, she became a grocer, I suppose. So granny uh, t- literally started started selling products, but there was a uh, um, a holiday camp there called Red Island Holiday Camp, where in the war times English people would have come to. And she set up a little mail order business because there was many products in Ireland that you could not source in the UK. So during those war times, Granny set up the mail order business and started shipping products over to the UK. Um, so I think I, I, as a as a child, I'd always I'd always heard heard about what what Granny had done, and I was always very interested in my mom and dad's businesses from a from a young age. I used to try and convince my father when he was coming over to the UK. To meet his suppliers and the brand owners, that maybe I could come on a business trip with them, and it was it was also a way where I didn't have to go to school for a few days. Mm. So, uh, so, 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 so I was always interested in in business, and uh, my my mother and father always encouraged it. And I suppose when we talk about them, the risk taking element, I'm I'm very lucky that uh, you know my parents supported me through to get a good education in 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 chemical engineering and an MBA. And I'm a big believer when you have a good education mm. that I think it enables you to 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 maybe take slightly higher risks and have a bit more flexibility. Well, that was the other thing I was going to ask about is your is your engineering qualification because I understand that there are there there are kind of you can break people down into people that are interested in people and people that are interested in like how things work and so you've got the engineering side and you're obviously very personable and it feels to me like to be good at private equity you kind of do need both of those. How does how does the engineering uh, qualifications or way of thinking help with private equity? 
Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. You know, um, when I was trying to decide what to study in university, you know, I always knew I liked business, but I equally knew that I liked kind of all the mathematical subjects. Um, so in the end, I netted out that I probably long term wanted to work in business, but I wanted to study engineering. Um, and I think really engineering teaches you a very good work ethic in the first part, but it also teaches you how to solve problems, how to logically think, how to be analytical, how to break things down and into their component parts. And I remember when I was, uh, you know, applying for jobs and trying to figure out what I would do when I graduated, um, saying to some of the people at these strategy consultancy firms, you know, you probably think it's unusual that I'm an engineer and I'm applying for a job. Little did I know that over half of the graduates on my graduate program at McKinsey would be engineers. Mm. So I think it really does teach you um, logical thought processes. How do you think and how do you break problems down? Um, but as you say, the interpersonal side and the relationship side is incredibly important in private equity, particularly at the size of investments that we do. Um, people do business with people. They need to trust you. And ultimately, you know, it's, it's not quite a marriage, but effectively, you know, you, you are partnering um, with, with uh, you know, the family run company or the founders and they're partnering with us. And you need to make sure that there's a very good match. Because as I say, you know, not everything will always go smoothly and you need to make sure that you both have a very... Um, similar and aligned sense of the strategy and vision, but also that you know that you trust each other and that you get on well, both in the good times and in the bad times. So I think definitely the, the relationship side, the interpersonal skills are incredibly important in what we do. So just before we come on towards Ellen, the, the other aspects of, of your career that's quite unusual is you've worked for uh, three or four private equity firms, if you include uh, Cabot Square. Yeah. So not many people have had in-house experience of that many private equity firms. Are there any kind of broad observations you can make about how how different they can be? Yeah. Do you know, it's very interesting. And, you know, I, 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 I still get on very well with a lot of the people that work at each of those firms. Um, and actually, there's a lot of similar traits, I would say, across each of them. Um, a lot of them very much focus on those strategy consultancy skill set. Obviously, analytics is very important, but but I think each of those firms do really value that strategy consultancy deal creativity um, mindset and skill set. Um, I think in, in, in addition, you know, I've been very lucky that I've worked across multiple sectors. Um, I got a lot of exposure at a young age. And I think each of the firms that I've I've worked at, you know, look, luckily have 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 done well and continue to do well. Um, so 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 I think that I, you know, I'm I'm very grateful and very thankful for for each of those firms that I've worked at. And uh, Waterland, how did the opportunity come about? Why was it attractive to you? Yeah, um, I, I I suppose you know you need to be in the right time at the right place. I suppose you know I'm I'm a big believer in fate, and I think things happen for a reason. We don't always know what those reasons are, but you know, be it good things and bad things, you know. Um, so literally, I I thought when I when I sold my company and moved back to London, I uh, and got back into private equity. I thought I was probably going to end up staying in London. Um, I I I love London. It's a very vibrant city. I th I think it's great. But at the end of the day, you know, my father's now eighty two, and uh, and you know, my mom's at home, and my brother and my niece and nephew. So there's always a draw to go back and be close to family. Um, and literally at the end of 2019, um, Waterland announced that they were going to open an Irish office. Um, 
I got approached by, by, by a headhunter who uh, knew me well and said, Laura, we know you love London, but, you know, would you consider a role back in Dublin? Um, and to be honest, initially, I was a little bit dismissive because I said, I know all the private equity firms back in Ireland. If they wanted me to move back and join their teams, pretty sure they wouldn't come through a headhunter. They'd give me a call directly. So, uh, so, 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 so after a few conversations, the headhunter said, OK, Laura, we understand that, that, that you don't think there's an opportunity. But theoretically, if there was an opportunity, would you be prepared to move home? And I said, listen, I would. But, you know, I want it to be a good career opportunity for me as well. And in the end, they said, OK, well, there's actually a new firm going to open a new office and they're looking for someone to lead that, that, that firm in Ireland. Um, and I suppose I hadn't actually even contemplated that, that Waterland might be opening an Irish office. So that's how it came about. Um, Hans, who's one of the partners and the managing partner of, of, of our Dutch office, who also oversees UK and Ireland. I met him in London for a cup of coffee. We got on well. I, I, met, I met some more of the UK team. I then went, went over to, to Holland for a day and, and, and met, met a number of the partners, went to Belgium for a day, met a number of the partners, then met the German partners. And uh, after, after a couple of months, um, they, they offered me the role to, uh, to move home and, and, and set up the, the Irish office. For me personally, um, I think moving home, being able to run a private equity firm and set up and lead one was kind of the best of both worlds. I get that entrepreneurial experience of growing a little business in a much larger organization. Waterland as a firm is very, very entrepreneurial. So, um, so, so I was very attracted to it. Um, luckily, um, and, and totally separately for the past 12 years, I've actually sailed with a team of, of Dutch guys. So, um, I sail on a 41 foot boat with, with eight Dutch guys. So, um, so, so I've had a good insight into the Dutch mentality, I suppose. <laughs> so that had given me a good insight. And, uh, I think the Dutch culture I find is, uh, very direct, very transparent, very egalitarian. And um, I suppose there are a lot of, I suppose, a lot of values that I share. And Waterland was originally, it was founded in... Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. yeah, Waterland was founded by a Dutch entrepreneur called Rob Thielen back in 1999, so 24 years ago now, with the ethos of partnering with business owners and entrepreneurs to help them scale their companies faster than they could do from their own internal resources. Um, so over the years, Waterland expanded from, you know, um, a couple of partners in Holland. We then went into Belgium, then into Germany. And now today we have 13 offices in 11 different European countries. So we've really expanded geographically, but always with the same philosophy of partnering with family run companies, business owners, entrepreneurs, management teams to help them scale their companies faster than they could do through their own internal resources. And largely we do that through a, a buy and build strategy. So we very much focus on fragmented markets where we believe there's consolidation to be done across Europe. And we want to partner with what we call a platform. So a good solid business with a good management team with systems and processes that we can help them to scale normally internationally through buying other businesses. So I don't know Waterland, but I know of them because they always appear incredibly high on all the return rankings. For They're a kind of a regional mid-market firm um, but they are way up there with the world's best kind of private equity firms when it comes to returns. So that's that's how I know of them. So that must have been uh, attractive to you as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think, yes. I mean, Waterland, it's, uh, I suppose, it's, it's, it's a very below the radar organization. I suppose, you know, um, it's, it's very humble. A lot of the partners, you know, are, are are just very, very down to earth. So we don't like to, I suppose, get that much publicity or whatever. We we see our role very much in facilitating our portfolio companies and supporting our portfolio companies to grow. Mm. So we want them to get the limelight. I suppose it's mm, very unusual. And <laughs> so, so you land in, in back in Ireland. Uh, you get to build the office from scratch and hire people and get yeah. gigs. And yeah, it was it, it was an exciting time. So I literally, uh, you know, I, I I was very sorry to be leaving Riverside and 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 the team, but luckily they were very supportive. They 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 understood that it was a great career opportunity and it was a way for me to to move home and be close to family. So uh, so, so 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 I'm very thankful to to to, to my boss Martin and, and to the whole Riverside team. And literally, I then moved home on the 11th of March, 2020. Um, COVID was already kicking off, I suppose. Um, at the end of January 2020, I had unfortunately gone on a ski trip and I had managed to fracture my left tibia, my left knee, mm. and I had done a very bad job on it. I'd never injured myself before. So um, I was quite naive again in, in how long this would take. So I was in a full leg brace moving home. Um, uh, moving country, I think they say, isn't it? Moving country, moving jobs, you know, um, injuring yourself through all some of the most traumatic things <laughs> you, you can do in life. Suddenly I was doing them all in the space of about two months. Gets it right so, away, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I moved home on the 11th of March and I, I joined Waterland um, on the 16th of March. I think uh, I, I had flown up to our office in Manchester that day. It was the day that Boris Johnson made all the announcements. So, uh, so suddenly it was like, wow, I better get back to Ireland quickly or the borders might shut down. So, um, so, 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 so it was an exciting start. Waterland had also invested in a nursing home business in Ireland back in July 2019. So that was the only portfolio company that we had in Ireland. So I immediately inherited a nursing home group plus me, plus, uh, plus COVID hitting. So it was exciting times. But luckily, over the past nearly three years now, um, we have supported uh, Silverstream Healthcare Group, which is our nursing home business, uh, to grow significantly. We've partnered with another two Irish platform companies. So we've partnered with um, Ritech, which is a fire safety business headquartered in Mullingar in the Midlands in Ireland. And they do design, fabrication and installation of fire sprinkler systems. Um, so they will do the sprinkler systems into large pharmaceutical plants, into large data centers. Um, and thankfully, over the past 18 months, we've supported them to acquire three other companies two of which here in the UK called Compco and Gem Pumps and another one up in Sweden called CE Sprinkler. So that's a very good example of how Waterland uses our international network to support companies to scale internationally and buy other businesses. So Ritech has now gone from being, you know, a really good Irish fire sprinkler business doing about 25 million of revenue to now doing about 90 million of ref revenue. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. all in the space of about 18 months or so. And we're now in exclusivity, touch wood, to acquire three other companies as well to really make Ritech into an independent leading fire safety business uh, throughout Europe. Uh, in addition, then, we've partnered with MTM Engineering, which is um, another family-run company. So we've partnered with Brendan and his father, Martin, um, to, 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 to really help them to expand internationally again. They focus on physical installation of low-voltage and medium-voltage power cables into data centers all across Europe. So they have a team of about 500 people 
doing the physical installation of of the power cables. So in the, they're in the same value chain. They of, are in it? the same value chain. And and interestingly enough, um, Brendan, who is the CEO of MTM, is a good friend of Ted Wright's, who is the CEO of Rytech. And that was how we were introduced. Mm. So um, after we partnered with Rytech, um, Brendan approached Ted and said, "Listen, I'm thinking of taking on investment. Um, you know, what should I do?" And he said, "Listen, you should talk. You should talk to the Rytech team." So so my colleague Donal and myself um, met met Brendan. Uh, Donal and Brendan formed a very good relationship, and uh, there last last July we partnered with, with with MTM Engineering. So so we've now partnered with three Irish companies. So a and, proprietary deal. Yeah, proprietary deal. Yes. Nice. Yeah. You know, and I think um, we're certainly hoping that as we build our reputation and network in the Irish market, that we'll be able to, uh, you know, originate more transactions on a proprietary basis. It is something that Waterland really focuses on um, around, you know, fragmented markets, but also proactively reaching out to companies and trying to originate proprietary deals if we are the right partner for that management team. What's the competitive landscape like for the deals you want to do in, in Ireland? Yeah, um, in, in, interestingly enough, private equity, I would say, until about 10 years ago, um, was not that well known, I suppose. Uh, a lot of family Irish funds have historically filled the, the void of private equity in Ireland. But about 10 years ago, um, the NTMA or ISIF, which is our National Pension Reserve Fund, began seeding a number of Irish private equity funds. And that has really helped to uh, develop and evolve the Irish private equity market to the point now where there's quite a few domestic indigenous Irish private equity funds. Um, but also a lot of US and UK private equity funds are also now interested in, in Irish companies. We we are one of the only truly international and European um, funds that has an office on the ground. So I have I now have a team of five full time investors in the Irish market. Um, so so myself, uh, Donald McNicholas, who really good guy, who um, again similar to myself, you know, he's an engineer, had worked at Accenture and McKinsey, and did an MBA at INSEAD but also was the CEO of a biotech business and the commercial head of a wave technology business, in addition to doing seven years of M&A at CRH, which is one of Ireland's largest acquisitive businesses. So again, that'll give you an idea of the mm. kind of operational mm. experience that we look for. Um, Adam Crinion joined my team last summer and he has 10 years private equity experience um, across a number of private equity funds. So again, brings real experience across private equity funds, but, but a deep network in the Irish market. And then Danilo Razlevan and Danny Dillon um, are our senior associates who um, both both bring vast experience with them. So I think, you know, I think we're building building our team in Ireland, we're building our reputation and we feel where, where we can be distinctive is where, we, where companies want to remain headquartered in Ireland but expand internationally and largely through international acquisitions. We feel that we work very closely with our European colleagues and we can support them to, uh, to, to, to scale internationally through M&A. Am I right in thinking that it's quite tax competitive region to be headquartered there? Yes. You know, I mean, I think Ireland has, has evolved as a reasonably tax efficient uh, location. Um, I think, you know, a lot of pharmaceutical plants, technology businesses use Ireland as, as their uh, European headquarters. Um, and that is true that the corporation taxes, you know, um, are, are, are competitive. But I think in addition to that now, you know, our, our geographic proximity, um, both to the UK and the rest of Europe, I think is, is very beneficial for us. Um, a lot of American businesses see us as a, as a good location um, uh, to do business with. We're obviously a reasonably well-educated workforce. And I suppose 
over the course of, you know, my lifetime, over the course of, you know, the past 40, 50 years, Ireland has gone from being one of the poorest countries in the EU to now being quite an affluent nation. But, uh, you know, we're coming from quite a low base. So I think there's still a lot of Irish companies that, you know, are first, second, third generation. You know, we still don't have the same level of Mittelstand, let's call it in Germany or so. And we don't have that same level of wealth or indigenous Irish businesses that will hopefully continue to grow and scale over the generations to come. How does your, uh, let's call it mandate work or your interaction with the wider Waterland organization? Do you have a number of deals that you'd like to do a year? And also, how does your interaction with other colleagues um, happen? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. Um, I think Waterland does not have any targets for a number of deals that we want to do in a year. Yes, you know, we all we're all driven and we're all results focused, so we definitely want want to partner with good companies, but we're also very aware that you can't put a number on things because then that will will incentivize people to do deals and we do not want to incentivize people to do deals. We want to do the right deals, I suppose. Um so I think, you know, I think that, you know, we we are very active investors. You know, last year in 2022, we did about 120 partnerships or investments. About 20 of them were platforms and and about 100 were add-ons to existing portfolio companies. We have about 70 portfolio companies all across Europe at the moment. Um, that number is down a little bit on, on 2021, where I think it was a record year for us. We did about 150 um, investments or partnerships, you know, throughout the course of the past 24 years. We've now done over 950 um, uh, investments in total, of which about 150 have been platform investments. Um, but we are very aware that we don't want to put put metrics on it. Mm. So, so every Tuesday morning, I have my investment committee with the other partners and principals, and we talk about every company that we're in dialogue with and that we want to put a bid in on. Um, and I think that just gives real visibility to everybody, and it also helps to to enable us to share learnings across different different countries. So, for example, I've been very lucky from an Irish perspective. Um, Hans, the managing partner in 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 Holland, I have one on one catch ups with him every week, um, and he can guide me to listen. You know, please speak to this person in Belgium, or please speak to this person in Germany, or William and my team can help you. Um, because you know we've 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 got a vast institutional knowledge from that twenty four mm. years of of experience. Um, it's a very uh, collaborative organization. The um, of course, the economics get shared. So everyone is economically incentivized to work together, but very much the ethos that the partners have created is to work together. Um, so to give you clear examples of that, you know, um, uh, I'm, I'm currently speaking to a business in Ireland and uh, one of my Belgian colleagues flew over last Thursday and spent the day with us on the management team um, because he has expertise in the sector that we're, we're, we're looking at. You know, uh, we recently worked with, again, our Belgian colleagues to support them with an acquisition of Labelcraft, which is a packaging and labeling business in Ireland, which is an add on to Asteria, which is a large packaging and labeling business that we have in, 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 in Belgium. Um, my Spanish colleagues are currently supporting the Rytec team and, 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 and my team in order to hopefully be able to acquire a fire safety business in Spain. So it very much is that we work very collaboratively mm. together. So nearly on a daily basis, I or my team will be speaking to someone else in one of the other offices. Twice a year, we all get together in person as well uh, because we feel it's very important that, 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 that we do still have those in-person get-togethers. Mm. That's no small thing to generate that kind of international 
collaboration in private equity, it's quite difficult to manufacture. And if it's already culturally there, that's a that's a real bonus. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, it's a real testament to the partners that that ethos, even as we've scaled, has been maintained. You know, we certainly encourage um, secondments into, into other offices. Mm. Um, we have a kind of, uh, you know, we try and have linkages between newer offices and more established offices. And we try and make sure that we share best practice across all of the teams. And presumably you invest out of a European fund, so you're all in it together. That's correct. Yes, we're currently investing our eighth European fund, which is a two and a half billion euro fund. Right. So how are you finding, how are you seeing the market at the moment? Because it's a very volatile vol- um, economic period, let's say. You've you've put a lot of money to work, but how are you seeing it right now? Yeah, I think you're dead right. I mean, clear, clearly it's volatile for many reasons at the moment. You know, unfortunately, the the, the war in Ukraine um, doesn't, doesn't look to be abating anytime soon. I think clearly that's driven energy inflation, which has had knock-on effects across inflation in many, many sectors. Um, And, you know, I think what we're also seeing is, you know, a number of companies uh, being very cautious when it comes to their CapEx budgets. And and I suppose, you know, there's just a general sense of nervousness and volatility. So I think we are definitely looking at, you know, and being a bit more cautious when it comes to cyclical sectors. we will always be cautious when it comes to pure project-based businesses because obviously you are very reliant and don't have that much ongoing recurring revenue. Um, but in times of volatility also comes opportunity. So we're also very aware that, you know, um, that 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 this, this period will also create good opportunities for us to be investing in. So I think we are spending a little bit more time on some of our portfolio companies at the moment, but we're also spending a lot of time talking to new companies Um. Uh, I think from an Irish perspective, we're, we're, our pipeline is probably the busiest that we've seen so far. Now, part of that's because we're a newer team. And as, we, as, we, as our reputation gets more established, more companies are prepared to talk to us. But I think also there, 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 there is uncertainty, but there's also opportunity out there. Mm. We, I didn't realize quite how active Waterland. It must be one of the most active European investors out there, and particularly with all the, all the add-ons you do, which must take up a lot of time. Presumably you get involved in those typically as well as the primary investments? Yes, we do. We spend a lot of time on add-ons and that's really where, you know, we feel we can add value to the portfolio companies. Um, so, 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 so yes, that does take time, but that's where also where we feel that we can, can, can really support our management teams. So, um, you know, depending on how many add-ons a company is doing in a year will depend on whether we may have an M&A manager in-house, which we are increasingly doing in the portfolio companies. But, but me and my team will definitely spend, spend time, um, you know, and making sure that it's the right add-on and doing doing the due diligence. Um, but that's what we enjoy, right? You know, so we will spend quite a bit of time on the growth strategy for the company, on the international angle, on the M&A. We'll, of course, spend time on senior hires. Um, we are majority investors, so we will t- typically take maybe two board positions and we will have monthly board meetings. Um, but we try not to operationally get involved and meddle with the company too much. Good luck with it all. It sounds um, very exciting for you personally and for Waterland, but I'd also say from how you describe it, it actually sounds quite important in terms of the development of the Irish private equity ecosystem that you're you're there and building out a kind of an institutional and internationally connected team. So it sounds like an important uh, development in in the evolution of the industry as well. I've been very pleasantly surprised since I, since I moved home nearly three years ago. 
the other Irish private equity firms have been, been very supportive and collaborative. Um, you know, we all, we all have quite a good working relationship together. At the edges, we compete against each other. But, you know, a lot of us focus on either different, d- different sectors or different size investments or minority versus majority. So I've certainly found that the whole Irish ecosystem to be very supportive and collaborative. And as we all say, our, our biggest competitor is actually companies not doing anything. So, so there's still a lot more, um, I suppose, you know, mm. education to be done. And, you know, uh, I suppose, you know, um, private equity is not for everybody. We are not the right partner for everybody, but we are, we can be the right partner for many companies. And I think still, you know, the, the Irish market is still in that evolution and evolving p- space. Great. Well, thank you for sharing your thoughts. It'd be great to have you back in in a couple of years to see, to see how it's gone. Well, thank you very, very much, Ross. I'm d- delighted to chat to you today. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to the Fund Shack Podcast. It's the private capital channel for alternative investment professionals. This podcast was designed and produced by Linear B Group, a leading content marketing agency focused on financial and professional services. Thanks for listening.